This is Father Gregory Pine. This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And this is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all of those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. So here we are. This is Lexio for Advent Week 4. We have um, made our way through Advent. Uh, fear not, there will be another Lexio episode for Christmas. So if you're already lamenting the loss of Lexio episodes and waiting for the day when Lent rolls around, you have one more. Um, but if you weren't, well, then still take heart because, um, yeah, you got an extra episode. Cheers to that. Uh, so Father Bonaventure, Father Jacob Bertrand, uh, in these here Lexio episodes, we have a shtick or I think... Father Bonaventure, you have a shtick, and then we've gradually adopted your shtick um, because we're always in search of ways in which to direct the conversation which aren't time-bound. Because when you record things in advance, sometimes you're talking about weather that is no longer true. Actually, never mind. Avoid the story. So um, we thought that to kick things off, we could talk a little bit about a tradition of ours in our, in our, in our houses of assignation, namely that of Advent Brothers. It's kind of like a, a secret Santa, but... Um, Father Bonaventure, could you could you give a brief explanation about an Advent brother and then maybe share a favorite Advent Advent brother tidbit? No, thank you. Um, so uh, first, though, I want to make I want to um, compare uh, Father Jacob Bertrand to the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, because if you have, if you're driving right now, don't check on your phone. But if you have a chance, you should look at this. Uh, there's a beautiful Annunciation by uh, Tanner. I think his name is, is H. Tanner. Um, it's in Chicago, the, the, uh, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and it has a beautiful, then the angel is this like bright light, and uh, Father Jacob Bertrand looks just like this painting right now, because there's this light on the one side, and then there he is. Um, so it's enunciation-like. That's all I've been thinking about for the last minute or two. But the other thing is, Advent Brothers is a tradition where it's like a secret Santa, where for during the month of Advent, you are given a brother, you know, and you're supposed to pray for the brother, and then get him, you know, like leave favorite candy bars or whatever sort of thing. And then there's a big reveal, like Secret Santa, uh, at, like, maybe, I don't know, was this <sighs> Christmas Eve or something? I don't know. We're Just all gathered around, and you remember. get... I don't remember what it was. We were all gathered around, though, and so you had this Advent brother, and you were trying to guess, because you didn't have anything else to do, who the Advent brother was. Um, so that's... It's a bit like... Yeah, it's like Secret Santa, but it extends through the whole time, so you're supposed to be doing things, especially praying for uh, that brother and his intentions at Mass during rosaries, that kind of stuff. It's just a lame way of trying to not have a secret Santa during Advent. That's the whole, it's like a pious way to pretend that you can't do Christmas things during Advent. So instead of saying we have a secret Santa that we're praying for during Advent in anticipation, we have to sell Advent brother, which is ridiculous and dumb, but it is cool what we do. The title is just stupid. I mean, the titles in most things in division were really stupid, right? Like we had the night watchman. Do you remember that? The guy who was supposed to like set up the coffee in the morning with the night sentinel. Was it, was it called the night sentinel before we got it? And then Before there was like the, class, yeah. 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 So, I mean, most of the titles are going to be stupid, right? The Rotarian. That one was, I mean. Yeah, that one was particularly dumb. Anyways, what's up. your, yeah. Share with us your favorite Advent. Because we oh, did it was, a bit in the I thought I was just describing. Too. I thought I was describing oh, the practice. both and. Both and. Oh, my gosh. I, sorry, I'm a convert and those ands aren't, I'm getting used to it. <laughs> um, so, I, I had Father Joachim Kenny. Uh, who some of you may know, but he's down in St. Gertrude's now. Um, if you're on God's plane, you might you might know him. Don't give me that look. Annunciation man. Um, but the, uh, so I had him, and so I think I got him, because you're supposed to give kind of a comical gift to, you could. Uh, so I think I gave him a, a manga gospel 
So it was the gospel and manga. So Jesus had cool moves. It was like drawn in this particular way. Uh, to be honest, I don't, one, know why I did that. And two, I'm not even sure if I did do that. That's what I think I did, but I'm not sure. Because now, you know, 10 years later, it's not clear to me why I would think that was a good idea. But Novish, it's a crazy time. Hashtag, you know, CF uh, Night Sentinel. So that's my Advent Brothers story. Great. Thank you. Um, I guess it goes to me next. Mm. Um, so I, I already expressed my uh, feelings towards expressed? Advent Brothers. Yeah, I think it's dumb. But and so th- therefore, I don't have an Advent brother story, but I do have a good Advent story. I also have never heard someone s- call the Advent the month of Advent as <laughs> you did. <laughs> but okay, it's an Advent calendar, right? It covers the month of Advent from December first till uh, the twenty fourth. No, it covers whatever the first day of Advent is, which usually isn't December first. So. <laughs> that cho- uh, chocolate starts on December first, man. That's all I call um, Advent. In the student date, uh, Father. So this extended from the novitiate. Our classmate, two of our classmates, their roommates, Father Joseph Anthony, who's on the podcast, obviously, and Father Michael Wibley. Father Joseph Anthony very much likes Christmas. Father Michael Wibley doesn't dislike Christmas, but dislikes Father Joseph Anthony's like for Christmas. So in the novitiate, he decorated their room a lot. And then in the student he they weren't sharing rooms, but he went to decorate Father Michael's room. Um, and they found decorations in the attic at the House of Studies. And as they were pulling out this box of garland, a dead bird fell out of the bo- box of garland. And they still proceeded to hang all those decorations in his room with like the dead bird all over it. So <laughs> what, that's all my over. It's like, it was like smeared jam. Um, no, was it? This is my story. Father Gregory, <laughs> what's your favorite Advent Brothers story? Um, I don't remember who had me as an Advent brother or who I had as an Advent brother, but then we reprised the thing. So we did it in the novitiate, and then we did it again in the deacon tate. And uh, I had the aforementioned Father Michael Wibley as my Advent brother. And I was trying to think, like, what are things that are good gifts slash, like, things that I would like? Because most gad gifts, I like, I, like, smile in the presence of those who offered them, and then I quickly throw them away. Um, so I offered, <laughs> I offered, like, I put a note, like, from your Advent brother, I will do your laundry, you know just name, time, place, and leave me your things. And um, Father Michael Mary Wibley just put a note on his door that said, no, thank you. <laughs> Advent present rejected. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess so. That makes makes sense. What so, if he had said like time and place is like time one year, <laughs> like for one year? What, was that Check in or here. was it just once? Uh, I was just, I was just like one off. I mean, you know, like I did one thing each week. It was try. I was trying to go for acts of service cause you know, we didn't yeah. have much money and, uh, whatever, but I blew that one. It's okay. Do you remember yeah, flashlights? Remember we, got, remember we got flashlights? Uh, those were given as yeah. advent gifts one time. Yep. I vaguely remember that. Very useful. That's what the comment nice. was. I also remember yeah, that in the first few years of formation, my mom sent a stocking to one of the brothers and asked whoever to hang it on my doorknob. So that way I would be included in the family tradition of opening up a stocking on St. Nicholas Day. And I think it was it was like four years in. I was like, um, stop. No one else does this. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's okay. Sometimes you get a stocking hung on the door of your monastic cell. And, you know. That's just it's just part of life, I suppose. Dead, um, birds, yeah. okay. Dead birds and cash is just fine. You know, send the cash. Yeah, great point. Thanks, Mom. Mm-hmm. Dead birds, dead birds and cash. That'll be the theme of this year, particular 
Lexio. So uh, speaking of Lexio, we're going to head to it and we're going to begin with uh, the collect for the liturgy of the fourth Sunday of Advent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. We'll turn now to the first reading of today's liturgy, which is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be deep as the netherworld or high as the sky. But Ahaz answered, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. Then Isaiah said, Listen, O house of David. Is it not enough for you to weary people? Must you also weary my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you this sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think what's interesting about this passage is that it seems that Ahaz should actually be giving the right answer here, that it it is something good not to tempt the Lord, uh, that we're not meant to call on him and put him to the test. So what is it that is so offensive to to God um, and to the prophet here that Ahaz, why is Ahaz singled out as making a mistake in this case? And it seems that uh, although of course, tempting the Lord is not something that we're meant to do. There are moments where the Lord gives people signs and gives us indications that go past, that go are greater than uh, just our, our mere faith, you could say, but actually some of the hope that we're aiming for is given to us. And this passage here, of course, is familiar to us from the Christmas liturgy that the Virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall name Emmanuel. And this is going to Mary and Jesus. And I, the church rightly takes this as a passage aiming towards, pointing towards that foreshadowing Christ coming, because it's a real coming to us in the flesh of God, to his people, that we might see and touch him in the Eucharist, sacramentally, and have him around, that we might have even images, in a sense, to be able to present him in a way, that these things that to a literalistic reading of the Old Testament, no graven images, no tempting of the Lord, all these things. He's the one who does them. It's not we who take the initiative to go against his rules or his directives or his plans, but rather we're responsive to exceptional graces given. And it seems that this is the case in Ahaz's uh, situation, that he is given through the prophet an ability to do something that is not normally uh, the way of moving forward. And of course, when Jesus comes, uh, we have the fulfillment of the new covenant, the entering into the new covenant, which is a very different, although still within line with the old covenant. And that's the message of, I think, Christmas, is that Christ comes in special ways at certain points in salvation history, and that we have a chance to reflect and share on the gifts of those things that are unexpected, undeserved, and yet entirely called for from him responding to us, and that we merely listen and then enact his love and his care for his people. Yeah, I think the, um, the, the, this passage from the prophet shows to us, in a way, the whole, um, the whole reality of the incarnation of Christ, of God, the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh, 
becoming a man in all things um, like us, like us in all things but sin, uh, because it is through Christ becoming man, through his taking on flesh, through his being born of the Virgin and the Annunciation, much much like the setting in which I now find myself in, according to Father Bonaventure, uh, that that God is eminently approachable um, and eminently um, yeah, ready to be or in, in our midst, ready to have us share in his life in a way that wasn't before the incarnation. Uh, obviously, Christmas, the nativity, Christ becoming man um, changes the whole course of history, changes everything, changes our entire relationship with God. But for the reason of uh, because he now is, we're, we're able to be with him directly in a way that wasn't before. So we see in... Um, and asking for a sign or this sort of thing, well, there's a boldness to the Christian life. There's a boldness to the new covenant that Christ has dwelt in our midst. He has come to be among us, and we have the ability to approach him in our humanity, in his humanity and his divinity, um, in a way that that didn't exist before. It's the great sort of privilege of our faith and of our the privilege that our Lord affords us. So, yeah, just a small word on this idea of asking for a sign when the Lord bids us ask for a sign. I think the Lord wants us to ask him for signs of his love. This is just the point of, you know, like prophetic signs in the Old Testament, but of more humble signs in our present experience. Um, and I'm thinking of a story that was told to me by a religious sister. So I went to this conference in Kentucky called Ignite Your Torch. And there's a religious sister who was talking about the fact that at some point in her religious life, she was instructed to be on the lookout for signs of God's love. And she kind of came up in formation at a time where people used pagers. And I guess in pager speak, sometimes you would abbreviate things. So uh, the abbreviation for I love you was 143 because it's one letter and then four letters and then three letters. So she was always on the lookout for 143, you know, like finding it on the microwave. It was one four, you know, 143 or finding it wherever. Um, but one day... She was walking around her convent grounds and thinking about the Lord, and they were redoing the insulation of the house with whatever, you know, Tyvek home wrap, something like that. And um, there were just little scraps of it on the ground from where the workers had left things. And she picked one up and she, you know, came to discover that it was like 14.3 millimeters thick or something like that. And she was just kind of devastated. And she used that, you know, conscious of the fact that it was a silly example but she said, you know, we should have these kind of eyes with which to see, these ears with ears with which which to hear, and ultimately like a heart open to the Lord's testimony of love. So the Lord is always giving us signs, and you have that here um, in this particular reading with the promise of a sign who is our Lord Jesus Christ come in human flesh. So he's always giving us signs. It's a matter of our attending to them. So by asking him for a sign, we're asking for the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the heart to be open. All right. With that, let's turn to our second reading, Father Bonaventure. It's a reading from Letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised previously through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel about his son descended from David according to the flesh, but established as, the son, as son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, through resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received the grace of apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, among whom are you also who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
To all the beloved of God in Rome, called to be holy, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we have this this whole kind of summary, uh, I guess more of, in a way, we could say, if we're looking at the at the at the first reading that we read from the prophet Isaiah and then here from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, if the prophet Isaiah, the reading from the prophet Isaiah is sort of a, a beginning of things, you know, ask the Lord for a sign, come into his presence. He is, he's dwelling among us now here. We kind of have the end, the other bookend, I think, in ways. Um, we have at the end of this passage from Romans, uh, Paul speaking to the Christians, telling, you know, those who are called to be holy, but also those who possess or God willing, possess grace and peace, which is really the the sort of the ends of being, we could say in a way, the ends of being with Christ, of possessing Christ, of having Christ in our midst, dwelling in our lives, that, uh, you know, that Christ gives, comes to give his peace, um, comes to give his grace to make us holy. And I think, you know, Christmas, we think of peace a lot, peace on earth, peace to men of good tidings that's totally not the line but you know what i mean you're with me uh but this idea of peace of 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 comfort of being with we especially um you know from the gospel at the end or the gospel of john not the end the 14th chapter when our lord gives us his peace not as the world does but but as as he would um not to let our hearts be troubled and afraid i believe the evangelist says uh, quoting our lord um that the end of the Christian life is to rest with God, to be with him. Um, and he comes to us to bring that to us. And he does so in a very particular way that I'm sure we can all think of in the sort of nostalgic reality of Christmas. He does so in the in the peace of Christmas and the peace of the incarnation to simply be with us, um, to make us holy, to offer his grace. And he's, he, I was going to say sort of, not sort of, he is waiting. He's waiting for us to ask for that sign to ask for his grace, to beg his mercy, that we might be fulfilled with his grace and peace. So I am writing the last chapter of my dissertation right now, and specifically I'm writing a section about the merit of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when St. Thomas Aquinas talks about merit, he appeals to two principles. He talks about the divine power and then Christ's headship. So he's talking about like how merit works in the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, on the one hand, divine power, and on the other hand, headship. And I'm struck in reading this particular passage from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, that there is a similar logic at work. It's like, who to thunk? St. Thomas is inspired by the sacred scriptures. Um, so when St. Paul describes our Lord, he describes him as descended from David according to the flesh and established as son of God in power. So there are these two poles of our meditation on our Lord Jesus Christ, namely that he is in solidarity with us. He has genuinely taken to himself a human nature, right? So he has a human soul and a human body, a human intellect and a human will, human passions, and even the defects associated with our human sin without himself ever having sinned. Um, and he lives the whole of a human life, right? From, from conception to a terrible death uh, and beyond. But then... He also has not, not just a foot in heaven, he is in heaven, right? Because he is God and because he looks constantly on the face of his father. And so in his flesh, he's able to build a bridge between our fallen state and the halls of heaven for which we were destined at first, but from which we turned away. And so, you know, like in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have one who is at once constituted in divine power, but who is our head, right? Which is to say, 
who is um, the, the fullness of, the perfection of this mystical body in which we hope to one day be perfectly integrated so that we can constitute with him the one worshiping Christ to the glory of God the Father. So I am grateful that St. Thomas Aquinas is inspired by the sacred scriptures because it makes our life that much easier. Cheers. <laughs> I'm finishing my dissertation on my sixth chapter, and it's on Immanuel Kant. And one of the things that Immanuel Kant cares very much about is obedience. So uh, looking at the scriptures here, when ta Paul talks about obedience, um, one's not surprised that Immanuel Kant was inspired by the sacred scriptures. So <laughs> we might be hesitant about this, not because of Kant particularly, but because of this word about slavery, that we want to remove ourselves from the uh, notion of using slaves because of American context and history. Of course, Paul's writing to a, a, a civilization that was founded in some ways or had a lot of slavery, especially in Rome. You've got slaves all over the place. And I would resist, I want us to resist removing the slavery notion and seeing ourselves not as slaves in a way, because if we do that and follow the logic of Paul here, we miss out on obedience. And what does that miss us out on? We miss out on holiness. If you notice in this passage, uh, the start of it, we have the spirit of holiness, uh, and then we have later calling us to be holy. But in between, we have this dialectic, this or this dynamic of slavery and obedience, slavery and obedience. And for our culture, again, I think we shy away from from the notion of slavery, and for right, we have to you know contextualize it. But the notion of being indebted to someone else for so much that your 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 life is indebted to this other thing. That's the notion that St. Paul picks up here and gets us a sense, gives us a sense that our obedience is not to the Lord is not to be something that occasionally, when it benefits us, when it seems like the right idea, when, no, it just, we are obedient to him because we are enslaved to him and not our sins. He has bought us and therefore we become slaves to him. And the result is not that you did a good job uh, and then you might be free from him at some point. The result is that you are actually free in holiness, that in, in the paradox of relationship between God and man, the more you are obedient to the will of another, the more free you become in your own will to the good and to holiness. And so Paul reminds us that our holiness comes through the act of enslaving ourselves, not to our sin, and therefore some sort of natural thing, nor to other human beings but to God, to be obedient to him in all things. All right, with that, let's turn to the gospel. Father Jacob Bertrand. From the gospel according to St. Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. The Gospel of the Lord. 
praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So in approaching this gospel, there is a way that we're normally accustomed to read it, and then there's a way that we're challenged to read it. And I think that when we pay close attention to the sacred scripture, we're never disappointed, right? Because we have the confidence that it's inspired, and so it's inerrant, and we need never fear that there are unsolvable problems within. Mind you, we're not going to figure it all out because we're not going to comprehend it insofar as God, the author, is beyond our minds and hearts. But we can, you know, we can appreciate something of it. And this is a classic case. So when we hear a Joseph heard that Mary was with child, I think our, our ordinary assumption is he must have thought that she conceived this child by another man. And so for that reason, he decides to divorce her, but he doesn't want to expose her to public shame. So he divorces her quietly. When, when we read the text closely, that doesn't seem the most straightforward reading because um, it says that he was a righteous man. So it leads with his virtue. And if he is a righteous man, if he abides in the covenant, that he's going to have some insight into the workings of God in this world. And he knows that this woman whom he has betrothed is a righteous woman. He would have been impressed by that fact because conceived without sin and full of grace, she would have made it known to those with whom she lived. Um, not perhaps in its fullness, but like, or not the, the full revelation thereof, but he would have had a sense for it. And it says that he's unwilling to expose her to shame. So if he were a righteous man, a law-abiding man, and it was responsibility to turn her over to public prosecution and punishment. So it wouldn't be righteous of him to step outside of the law or to transgress the law. And so he, you know, he decides to divorce her quietly. Um, when the angel then appears and says, okay, Joseph, what's the first thing he says? Here's the deal. You know, you shouldn't divorce her because you're wrong in your judgment. No, no, no. He says, don't be afraid. So there's a priest, uh, Father Frederick Miller, who proposes that St. Joseph would have had some insight into the fact that this was of God, that this was terrible and good, but that this was beyond him. And so he might have stepped back from the situation because he feared to undertake it, like he wasn't equipped for the task. And what the angel is effectively coming to tell him is a word of comfort or a word of consolation and encouragement to say, no, 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 God will make you worthy of it, right? This is part of God's plan that you take the betrothed Mary into your home, that this be a genuine marriage, albeit you're going to safeguard her virginity and you will make an offering, a sacrifice of your own. But this is for, you know, the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is to save his people from their sins. So when we pay attention to the words, certain strange things stand out. And in light of that, we have a better appreciation for the holiness at work in the life of St. Joseph and the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary and ultimately and our Lord Jesus Christ, which grace is communicated to us through this text and through the liturgy in which it's framed. The nativity stories have these interesting interchanges where uh, the human actors are responding with divine responding to divine revelation, and this is no different. Uh, although each one has its own characteristic, we generally compare Mary and and the archangel with uh, Zechariah and his experience, and talk about how the two of them are different and why Mary's questioning isn't a problem when Zechariah's is. But here, compare now Mary's interaction with uh, to the angel with. Uh, Joseph's experience with the angel here. And the fact is, Joseph doesn't say anything at all. Now, and you might think, wow, what's interesting about that? It's the fact that I think we forget that this is a dream. We forget that we think just the content, we assume that this is an angel speaking to him directly, and we forget that he's actually dreaming this. And once you start to think, well, actually, the vehicle revelation is a dream, then you start to wonder, well, why did he believe it? Like, this isn't he didn't see an angel here. He saw. I've had plenty of strange dreams. I assume strange dreams are not particularly um, new to the 21st century, the 20th century. 
So why does looking at this, realizing that it is a dream that Joseph has, that he's spoken through through a dream, uh, the natural is taken up into the supernatural, revelation happens here, God can reveal himself any way he wants. Um, why does Joseph believe it? Why does he believe it? I think the interesting thing is to say, well, for two things. One, because of him, and two, because of Mary. One is, we generally have dreams because we're already thinking about them. Something's on our mind or this kind of stuff. So I'm led to believe that perhaps Joseph is already wondering whether, as Father Gregory said, this is of God, that there's something special going on here. He's been thinking about this. He's puzzling over it. And therefore, God enters into his, his natural dream occurrence and reveals supernaturally this is the event. Um, so he knows already. He's got some indications. And the second thing, why he wouldn't believe this was just some crazy dream or he ate something funny the night, day before, is because of Mary. Is that this dream must have corresponded to his experience with her. It was almost like a final push in a way, or at least a confirmation in the way that Ahaz wasn't, didn't ask for, a confirmation of a very special thing. And this dream is his way of responding, or at least receiving the message of how to respond correctly to, in some ways, the graces that had already been present in his life. He already knew who God was, and this was possible. He knew who Mary was, and he also knew who he, who he was. So God uses this, in a sense, very ordinary means. Doesn't come down with an angel, but rather speaks through his dreams. And because of Joseph's holiness and his attentiveness, this is allowed to be a vehicle in the way that Zechariah's uh, experience wasn't at all. As we, what we're in, the, we're wrapping up our month of Advent here, so it's coming to an end. Our time of preparation before the Nativity of our Lord, um, and hopefully these weeks, as the Church has intended for us, have been a time of preparation to receive our Lord um, in the flesh. Uh, and I think you know, and as Father Gregory and Father Bonaventure were talking, it seemed in a way that that Saint Joseph was prepared to receive this message from the angel, not in the sense that he knew an angel was going to come to a dream or, or if through a dream, you know, not that he was predicting the future, but as Father Bonaventure was describing, and as Father Gregory said too, that he was prepared through his righteousness, through his holiness, through his relationship with, with Mary, um, whatever those circumstances, those conversations, you know, whatever, we don't know the whole story, of course, because what we're given is what's on the sacred page, but was prepared and, and open to receive the message of the Lord and respond in kind. And Advent, too, uh, has been, we still have a week left, but has been or should be a time to prepare us to be able to respond to the Lord's invitation and beckoning in our own life, whether that's a dream or, or not, but to respond to the graces that he, the Lord is prepared to pour into our hearts. To pour into our hearts at, a, I don't know, this might be a little cheesy, but at a particularly vulnerable time in our in our faith when the Lord comes as a baby to offer himself in such an approachable and accessible manner to us. Um, so it, it's, you know, I think that the sort of bottom line message here in, in a way is, is the message of the Christian life, one that our Lord repeats throughout the Gospels at different points, one that that the that the angel says to Joseph today um, is is not to be afraid to take courage to open our hearts to what the Lord is doing in our lives um, now in the fourth weekend of Advent as Christmas approaches at Christmas throughout the entirety of our lives to be open to what the Lord has to say what He's doing 
to um, respond to that invitation to live in his peace and not be ruled or enslaved, as Father Bonaventure talked about with our reading from St. Paul, to, to fear, to sin, but to be free in Christ. All right. That brings us to the end of this Lexio episode for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, we'll send you off then with uh, the prayer that concludes today's liturgy. Having received this pledge of eternal redemption, we pray, Almighty God, that as the feast day of our salvation draws ever nearer, so we may press forward all the more eagerly to the worthy celebration of the mystery of your Son's nativity, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. A uh, couple of small announcements then for the end of the episode. Uh, just again, a huge, huge, huge word of thanks for all those who contributed to the fundraiser um, that was expressly for retreats for this upcoming summer and fall. So we raised, I don't actually know the final figure. The last figure that I saw was $6,000, which permits us, uh, and then there were a couple other gifts that came in, which permits us to lower the cost for uh, at least two of our three retreats, but we're working out ways just to make those retreats affordable again so that many more people can come and you know you the listeners can meet each other and that we can engage more face to face deep in the relationships that have begun by way of the podcast so we're super super appreciative for that thank you so much for your gifts thank you so much for your prayers and your ongoing support of the podcast and another thing is um some of you will know but some of you won't father jacob Bertrand and i recorded a podcast called catholic classics which is incredibly difficult to say catholic catholics um and that's through Ascension. And we did our first season of that was the introduction to the devout life by St. Francis de Sales. In the first half of each episode, we read the book. And then in the second half of each episode, we make little commentary upon it. So do check that out if you have the opportunity, if you're looking for a way to do some spiritual reading while on the go. Um, yeah. So thanks as always for listening to God's Planning. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like the episode, subscribe on YouTube, and leave a five-star review. Uh, if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, you can follow the link in the description or show notes. And in the same description and or show notes, you'll find links to shop our merchandise and to get information for upcoming events. So those retreats, uh, details of those will be forthcoming around about March, uh, and then they'll trickle out from that point on. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. Uh, a Merry Christmas in anticipation thereof, though we'll have the opportunity to chat with you again on Christmas Day. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much. And we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planning.